Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one slash the pilot episode of The Friedman Files, where we give Barry Friedman another opportunity to entertain us. Because and to, he's another one, doesn't he? Well, you know, it's you know, the 21st century. You have, to, you have to use every medium available to you. And podcasts are the new, let's see, uh, unicorn of media area. So with that, we're going to go right into it. Cue the music. Well, we come on the ship, they call the Mayflower. We come on the ship that sails the moon. We come in the ages most uncertain hours and sing an American tune. So for all of you who maybe don't, you know, uh, check the news every five seconds to keep yourself in a perpetual state of anger, you might not have known that Donald Trump invited some people to the White House yesterday. Those people included Sarah Palin, Chris Rock, not Chris Rock, well, I wish it was Chris Rock, Kid Rock. Kid Rock. A little bit of a difference there. Yes. Uh, I'm guessing Kid Rock's wife. I don't know who that other woman in the picture is. Girlfriend and I think Ted Nugent's wife. Okay. And, of course, Ted Nugent and Sarah Palin. And, you know, the president can invite whoever he wants to the White House, whatever. Um, but they, they, they took a picture in front of Hillary Clinton's uh, portrait. Right. Secretary, Secretary of State portrait, I'm guessing. And I can't tell. You can tell me, Barry. Are they, are they giving her the finger? Are they just pointing up to it with their thumbs? They're... They're creatively being ambiguous about the pose and the finger and the pointing, but they are mocking it uh, for no other reason other than they're there, she's not, he won, and she didn't. And it it, it reminded me a a little bit of uh, something that actually Kid Rock said once about, you know, if you ever want to rob a trailer park, do it during a Kid Rock concert. When I hit town, he said, the trailer parks empty out and everyone comes to the show. And it seems to me if you don't want to be the stereotype, if, you, if you're tired of people calling you that and you're tired of the derision and the condescension, stop acting like it, which is exactly what these three yutzes acted like yesterday. Post-election, liberals have been accused of that it was our smugness, which is why we lost, because people who were not liberals found us to be smug and arrogant. And my response is always examples like this. How is this not smug and arrogant? It is just as smug and arrogant as, you know, we are accused of being, yet they are allowed to do this and, you know, it never comes back it never comes back on them. Yeah, it seems like they're allowed to do it because there's some populist streak that the there's an uh, underwhelming appreciation of the great heartland of America. Like nobody in New York or Los Angeles works hard or defends the country or cares about his family. And there's this notion that, you know, somehow people who go to Walmart or people who know farmers or people who put flags out in their front yard somehow are more Americana than people who live in in Queens. I mean, again, another quote, Sarah Palin, during her campaign with John McCain, she said, we believe that the best of America is in these small towns that we get to visit in these wonderful little pockets of what I call the real America. 
being here with all the hardworking, very patriotic, um, very um, pro-America areas of this great nation. How do you say that? If one liberal politician came out and said, that's Alabama, what do you think? Nobody does that. But how many times do you hear the right dismiss the elite in New York and Los Angeles? The double standard actually starts with them, not us. Also, I mean, from a demographic point of view, the majority of Americans live in large cities. So they are talking about an incredibly small proportion of people, by their own definition, of Americans. Right. And again, if you, if you want to talk about the condescension that comes from the left to the right, okay, but what do you do? How do you meet people in the middle who think that Barack Obama was born, born in Kenya, or that there's a conspiracy coming out of a pizza shop in Washington, right? Or the earth is flat, or Donald Trump alone can defeat ISIS. Is there a center there? Is there, is there a middle ground that you, 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 we should meet these people and discuss their concerns? Or do you dismiss them because they're either insane or more troubling dangerous? So of course they have to be dismissed. Not everything has a moral um, balance. And some of these people's ideas are truly very dangerous. Ann Coulter, remember we just celebrated the, uh, the, the horrible anniversary in Oklahoma City, the Murrah Building. Well, during the 9-11 disaster tragedy, she said her only regret is that the planes didn't fly into the New York Times. What are you supposed to do with that? Do we engage her or do we call her out? Do we call her names? And somehow are we an elite force if we do that? That's the part that bothers me. I mean, Bill Maher had the line maybe of, of the decade, which is just that the, the left moved to the center, the center moved to the right, and the right moved to an insane asylum. We are now playing on their turf. And for those of us who fight back, I don't think we have to apologize for fighting back or calling it what it is. I, you know, that's the, the thing about Bill Maher is that every once in a while he really just sort of nails something around the head. And that's exactly right. Like liberals, you know, I feel believe as strongly in what they believe in as conservatives do. On the other hand, the difference is uh, liberals want things to work. Right. And in that willingness to work, they are willing to compromise. And that no longer seems to be the playground they're on. Like the rules have changed. And, you know, especially Democrats and Congress don't seem to understand that these, the rules have changed. Yeah. And again, I mean, the, the given of the 2016 election is that these people were not racist. They were not nativists. Right. They were not bigots. They just had a country that had passed them by. They no longer recognized, and they felt like they were being dismissed, and they saw people jumping ahead of them in line. But then you wonder, what line? And even if you were to give them all that and give them all that, right, you say, well, don't you have to think beyond yourself? If you look at Donald Trump, there is no way Donald Trump gets elected. If someone sits down and says, it's imperfect, it's politics, we cannot give this country to Donald Trump, even though I lost my roofing job. So far from the left being selfish, that to me is the ultimate selfishness.
when you can't look beyond yourself and to the country. And again, even if you're not a racist, even if you're not a bigot, even if you're not a nativist, apparently in the 2016 election, what we learned is it's not a disqualifier either. Yeah. It's, I think, looking back, the truly amazing thing is the amount of rules that were broken. Like, you know, a politician could never survive saying this or doing that. Or then, you know, not apologizing. And Donald Trump broke all of those. And so it seems to have given freedom to the people who were at some point, like, restraining themselves in a small way to just sort of explode, to let let it all, you know, let it all hang out, as we're seeing with our new... um with a Jeffrey Beauregard sessions where, you know, I mean, I knew who he was and I knew that he was incredibly conservative, but now he seems very open saying the most ridiculous things like his attack on the, the federal judge in Hawaii, like Hawaii isn't a state and people in Hawaii aren't Americans. It's, it, it's like, where are the, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, I had to argue with lots of different kinds of conservatives, but there was always the, yeah, I believe these things, but I would also just like our government to work sort of conservatives. And where are they now? Well, what happened to them? So they excuse a lot. I mean, I think the greatest thing the Republican Party's done over the last 30 years, it said to the worst elements of America that we're hiding in the basements and garages and upstairs locked bedrooms, you know, the ones that were surrounded by ammo and Confederate flags and dog-eared copies of Ann Coulter and Tim LaHaye books and the stacks of discredited emails and the posters of Dale Earnhardt and Ronald Reagan, that it said, come on up from the basements and the garages. We're going to have a party out back. And soon there will be a candidate. There'll be a carnival barker. He'll have minions. He'll have people like, he'll have people like uh, Ted Nugent and Kid Rock and Sarah Palin. They'll be half-cocked self-promoters of limited ability. And they'll set things straight. And then when the time is right, they'll invite this new America, this, this really dangerous America that had been put away, that we were embarrassed to admit that we were. Invited them up to the front yards for the block party. It was a barbecue of sorts, right? And it served them hatred and pablum and gave them hats and certitude and pointed them in the direction of the others. And it said, they took your country. Go get it back. And... It used to be a Republican Party, whether you disagreed or, or not, which spit those people out, didn't welcome those people into their midst. Now they court them, defend them, and liberals and Democrats have to worry about their feelings. These people who, who will not let to a lesbian couple buy a bun cake at a bakery, I need to worry about their feelings? No. Not me. No, I mean, I, there's, there's a weird, there's a small middle ground where you can understand where someone is coming from, but still not agree with what they do or how they express themselves. And I feel like that's where liberals are supposed to be. Like, okay, someone believes they shouldn't, you know, it's against their religious beliefs to sell a lesbian couple a cake. Fine. I can, I can understand where that religious belief comes from. On the other hand, if you own a bakery, your job is to sell pastries. It doesn't matter where it's going. That's not affecting, it's truly not affecting you in any way. So get over yourself. Right. And again, <laughs> if you agree with that, then these bakeries should also be allowed not to serve Jews or not to serve Christians or not to yeah. serve elderly people. And at that point, what you have is a society, right, which is completely exclusionary, which again is not what America is supposed to be about. 
I mean, there are issues where you go, look, there's no reason to go to the mats on this one, right? Block grants to the state are a terrible idea, but it doesn't define a person. Now, you can clearly believe that states will do better with money than the federal government will. I mean, I can disagree with you, and it doesn't make you evil. But once you decide this is my country and my rules, and there will not be marriages between these people, and these people are not allowed to do this, and these people are not allowed to do that, that's when the country starts unraveling. I think there's a distinction. I think those people have to be called out. Those people have to go, this is where we, this is where we fight. This is where we ruin the dinner party, right here on this issue. I mean, the, the most interesting part to me is the fact that anyone who thought about this could see part of this problem coming, the Trump realizing everything is more complicated than he thought because he wasn't listening to the fact that everyone was saying it was complicated. It's, it's almost like if he doesn't understand it's complicated, then there's no way it can be until he learns it as such. And I feel like that, that, is a, that is a common problem where people are like, well, the government doesn't work, or you know, this is a bad idea, or that is a bad idea. And they don't ever think about why our government works the way it does or how our government works the way it does. And it's like things are not simple. Like running a country this big is not easy and it can't be done using, you know, uh, you know, 10 word statements. And, our... and the premise is also suspect. I mean, I had dinner with my father who was 87 at the time and we had dinner with all his friends in Las Vegas and they were all in their 80s and 90s and they were all bitching about Obamacare and all bitching about socialized medicine. And I remember thinking, how do you people bitch about socialized medicine? I mean, Medicare started in 1965. Most of these people retired in 1980. So they were in Medicare for 15 years. I'll just do some math quickly here, right? When Medicare started, the Medicare tax was about a quarter of a percent. It went up to 1%. Let's, let's say 1% for 15 years. It wasn't, but let's call it 1%. If you made $50,000 for 15 years... And you paid 1% of that to Medicare for 15 years. That's 500 a year times 15 years. That means you paid into Medicare $7,500. And Medicare is supporting these people for 10 or 15 years. And they paid in $7,500. They get an elbow surgery. They're out of money. And this country has continued to support them as it should. Right? What yeah. better expense do we have than letting our elderly bitch and moan about early bird specials? But at some point, we have to call them out and say, listen, how dare you say socialized medicine doesn't work when you would be dead, literally dead, without it? And you can't hide behind, well, I paid in. You did not pay in enough. And a country decided, a society decided, we are not going to have senior citizens, you know, on the streets with, with, with selling pencils out of, out of tin cups. And now you're saying, well, we can't afford to have socialized medicine for everybody? How about your welcome? Let's start there. Yeah. It's, it's almost like um, I was reading a thing about um, Obama's stimulus plan right after he was elected and how, like, comparing it to some of the programs FDR did during the Great Depression. And what this article was saying was that FDR was much better at marketing what they were the federal government was spending money on so that people could physically see it. And 
uh, President Obama, like they had signs that were up you know, during construction projects, but those signs went down once it was done. But there are still plaques saying that, you know, the, the WPA did this in 1935. Liberals need to do a better job of really like constantly advertising. This is what the federal government does. This is where this money is going. Because it, like you said, if people can't, don't realize how much more they're getting from Medicare, right? How much more money that's there that's being collected from other people is helping them. Then of course they're going to like bitch and moan. Cause it's all they're seeing is their money, you know, being taken out of their paychecks. It's, it's like, we have to advertise more like, Oh yeah. Like this pays for roads. This pays for student loans for now. <laughs> um, I mean like we liberals are afraid to mention the good things the government does. And like, we have to, we have to get over that. And to point out that, that, that business is in business to make money. And so that's why blue cross blue shield and Aetna and Humana, their rate structure is that 18 to 22% go to administrative costs. Why? Because they have to make a living. They have to make a profit. Medicare is 2%. What does that tell you? Of course, Medicare is going to be a better deal because no one has to make money on that. It's not like yeah. Obama is making a commission on this. And I mean, yeah. that's the thing you want to say to people is, look, not only should you rethink government and rethink what it's done, but appreciate it, and then, terrible expression here, but pay it forward. And liberals should be as proud of what this country has developed into as conservatives are about tearing it apart. You know, when you say make America great, which is the worst expression ever, well, what area are we talking about? The 50s when taxes were 93%? 60s? What area was it? And back then, unions were strong. Unions were strong back then. And everybody had, the tax rates were higher back then. Sure, let's go back to that. You want to go back to yeah. the 1950s because that's when America was America? Fine. Let's go back to that tax structure right now. I'm willing. Yeah, I'm willing. That that that's always what confused me. I mean, do people obviously people don't remember or um ex, you know, try not to remember that the reason why America was so great is cuz you know, the top tax rate the top tax rate was like 90%. And we could afford a lot of things. If you know if people and companies were paying that, so yeah, let's let's do it. Um, liberals are all for it. We could simplify the tax code right now. And, and again, you're from Oklahoma. I still live there, right? Yes. 2004, they have taken 1.2 billion dollars out of the budget, and they have a 1.3 billion dollar budget shortfall. What does that tell you? Right. We haven't been spending more money than we take in. What we're doing is you keep taking that money out. That's your problem. So if we had never had a tax cut in Oklahoma, our budget would pretty much be balanced. Okay, that's too simple. But you know what? That's the point. That That's the point. That who was starving in 2004 in Oklahoma? Tax rates in Oklahoma, for instance, right now it's 4.75%. We got a tax cut last year, $27.00. $27 a year went to the average Oklahoma taxpayer. We have schools that are 45 kids, and some of them go four days a week instead of five days a week. How difficult a concept is that to sell if you're a, if you're a Democratic 
liberal candidate in Oklahoma. It should be the easiest thing in the world to sell. It really should be. Considering how high the sales, you know, the sales tax is there, be like, would you rather spend less money when you buy something and not get $27 back from the state at the end of the year so that one, schools can be open for five days, two, we can keep and hire better teachers, and three, fix roads. Like, infrastructure alone should be the easiest way to sell paying taxes. Like, you upset with your roads? Raised, like, you know, that's where tax money goes. If a state has a deficit, they're not going to fix things. Like, it, it shouldn't be that hard. And but. here's how short-sighted the Republicans were, right? Contentious election. Here's how arrogant they were, right? If Trump comes out and the first thing he says is, before we get the taxes, before we get the health care, I want a trillion and a half dollar stimulus package for infrastructure. Senator Schumer would have been the first one in the office, in the White House, supporting that. That's how little they care about government, how little they care about getting things done. Imagine the goodwill. Imagine the surprise. President Donald Trump saying that's the first thing we're doing. He talked about the airports. He talked about the roads. How about that? Instead of saying this program, which works for many Americans, right? This ACA, which he hated and everybody hated, even though it was their plan to begin with. You got it in Massachusetts, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Heritage Foundation idea. Heritage idea, right? That's the one they started with. That's just mean. That's not a vision of America. That is just mean. I mean, it's Paul Ryan sounds sexually excited when he talks about destroying Medicare. Like, what kind of person is that? Like, why does that excite you? Taking away things that help elderly Americans, like, live longer and, uh, you know, so, so that America's elderly are not living on the street? Like, that, that, that's what excites you? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and again, for what purpose? Other than you have this vision at 17 or 18 or 19, which, by the way, you collect the Social Security benefits, survivor's benefits, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're saying, again, it's not good enough for other people. There's a better way to do this. You want to give 90-year-old people in South Florida their their blood work and drive up and down military trail and find a doctor who'll take your voucher? Who does that? Why does somebody do that? Because someone out there supports that, that says, yeah, the government can't run it. Well, the government does a great job with private prisons, doesn't it? Charter schools, they're not a mess, but they're not any better than public schools. And charter schools, while they are public schools, right? Yeah. Charter companies take a vig off the top. I mean, again, and- notion that government doesn't work is one of those notions I think we should we should push back against. Yeah. I mean the uh, the vou- like the medical voucher system and the block grants, as you mentioned earlier, it's the federal government can run a deficit. States cannot, right? That fact alone explains why block grants never work. Because if you just give states a block of money, and like do with this what you do with do with this what you will, right? But we're not really going to check. And a state 
is running a deficit. They're like, well, we need this money to, you know, pay our debt or to pay other things. Then it doesn't go to the place it needs to go to, which is usually not a priority for the state in the first place. So block right. grants are dumb. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons that the federal government took it away is because Mississippi was giving people $8 a month in, in, in aid back in the 60s, and New York was giving 240 dollars and the federal government said, you know what, we can't have this type of disparity in this country. They took it away from the states because the states weren't providing those services. Yeah. And again, what would happen now? You have a billion and a half, billion, two, eight hundred million, whatever it is, deficit in Oklahoma. You give Oklahoma a block grant, where do you think that's money going? Money's going. It's not going to mental health. It's not going to preventative care. Or the budget. Horizontal drillers. Yeah. You're depressing me, Griffin. I know, I'm sorry. Let's let, let's move to a happier topic. Um the 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 quick demise of Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> yeah, I think he made money on uh, on sexually harassing and abusing women. I mean, yeah, he certainly re- like him and Roger Ailes get to retire with quite the golden parachute. But on the other hand, he's not on TV anymore for now, and uh, until he somehow gets on the blaze, where. <laughs> and how many people? How many women in this country voted? Donald Trump. It's almost it's almost like a a sort of mental break happened when Trump actually won, where a large proportion of the population that was like that like knew these things existed and knew that you know uh, that women get sexually harassed in the workplace and aren't well protected and all these like small slights that happened to let's say let's just say to white people right um, they. There was almost like a, oh my God, like the rest of society isn't going to protect us from these people and we have to do it ourselves. And it feels like people are striking back and striking back more in, way, in, in different ways now. Like with, I was reading a piece about how if Hillary Clinton had won, they don't, this article surmised that Bill O'Reilly would still be on TV, right? That the anger at someone who, you know, said on tape that they sexually harassed someone becoming president of the United States, like sort of just broke something in a large proportion of people's minds. And so like, they're just striking back wherever they can. And that's why the story, the story finally hit. Cause these stories have been around for years. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like one New York times piece that's just summarized it, right. Summarized the, this decade of um, settlements finally, just finally, like it finally, it finally snapped with, you know, uh, all the groups who helped, you know, get the advertisers off the show. And like, it, it was of course Fox losing money, which finally, you know, finally forced their hand. Right. Cause they can, as long as Bill O'Reilly was going to keep making the money, they were obviously happy to pay out these small amounts considering how much money he brought in. Yeah. You'd wonder why the, uh, 11th lawsuit was the tipping point, not the ninth. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, and I think I think I think there are many people out there who, again, um, it's never going to happen to me, and so therefore, why am I worried about it? Right? I mean, that's why that's why many congressmen, senators, only come out for gay rights when their kid comes out, you know, as homosexual. Why cancer research is only increased in some of these committees when someone comes out with testicular cancer. 
you know, and you just feel like that line about how was it Devonka Trunk or one of the brothers who said uh, she's too strong of a woman to be abused or be harassed yeah. in the workplace. I mean, yeah, people, it was it was one of the brothers. They're like, well, that would never happen to her. Right. People actually think that because you know, women as the victims. Why isn't that just sort of the the end of the campaign? I don't know. And that's when you start wondering. You know what? to keep apologizing for this, to keep explaining this away as economically disadvantaged people who felt like the country had passed them by and they didn't recognize their country is a really tiring analogy. It's a tiring explanation. Uh, and we're depressed again, Jesse. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm done apologizing for caring about other people. I'm done. Like, the the empathy gap between me and a, you know, senator who now supports gay rights because, you know, his son came out as gay. Like, I don't have to have a family member who's gay or who has cancer to care about people who are gay or who have cancer. And I'm not going to apologize for that anymore. And I can tell you this. Like, liberals need to take the uh, the title of Snowflake and, like, reflect it right back at the other part of the country because they are way more sensitive than we are. Oh, look at, look at the president with Alec Baldwin. Yeah way more sensitive than we are. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, so So stop it with the, oh, we're, we're all special and whatnot. Like, both, both sides, both sides claim umbrage when it's not, when it's not actually there, or, you know, respond when attacked. Like, let's get over the, like, worse, you know, the sensitive snowflake thing. We're not. You know why? Because we haven't all killed ourselves at this point, right? If we really were that delicate, we wouldn't be fighting back as hard as we are now. Yeah. Is my point. But, so, so Bill O'Reilly's gone. So that's nice. So, so really, there's just Sean Hannity we need to take down now. Who, I, who I've always hated more than Bill O'Reilly. But while O'Reilly would, would be a human being in terms of an issue. Yeah. Less of a, less of a, 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 a blank blank page less of a sponge yeah yeah because as far as i can tell sean hay doesn't believe anything he's he's just going to believe whatever democrats currently don't believe and that, that seems to change depending on who's in the white house and who's in control of congress like, that's not principles like why why do people go to him for news he says he's not a journalist he's not a journalist and like he, he, I think, is why I get mad when people call liberal smug. I'm like, have you seen Sean Hattie? He is the smuggiest smug who ever smugged. Yeah. Like it's on his face constantly. Yeah, this notion that you win by 110,000 votes over three states that nobody thought you were going to win. There was no great plan, right? There was some anger out there. There was some racism out there. You tapped it. You curtailed the vote somewhat. You discounted the other vote that went against you. And to somehow think that's why you're smug because you lost. Okay, again, it's not everything. But when you lose the popular vote by over three million people, you think that would humble some of you. Yeah. And again, if, if these people on the right are as conservative and as principled as they say they are, where are they when it comes to things like foreign policy and, and, and uh, criticizing judges 
and blatant ignorance and double talk and lies? Where are they? John McCain. How many moments is John McCain going to miss on this? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. liberals need to stop waiting for John McCain and um, Lindsey Graham to save us because they obviously are going to do it when it's in their own interests right. and not alone. Which is why Trump is never going to be impeached because there's not enough vertebra in the Republican Party to do it. Yeah. You know, and Nixon was impeached because the Republicans went to him and said it's over. Can you imagine anybody in the Republican Party going to Trump and saying the same thing? Nope. Not not soon to be um, former uh, former Congressman Jason Chaffetz. So, yeah. Senator? Yeah. He'll yes, be governor. Senator. Now he's going to run for governor. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um that's op- that 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 just opens up more opportunities for my uh, my and Pod Save America's favorite uh, favorite conservative Evan McMullen. So, nice. yeah, like I mean, liberal like liberals love to lionize certain people on on the opposite side, and they always disappoint us. But you know, we're we're optimists by nature, so which would be hard to tell from listening to this episode. But that's right. But I can tell you the 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 birds. Behind you, we're also pretty annoyed at Bill O'Reilly. So, <laughs> well, since you're about thirty-two minutes, I think we did well for our first time, don't you? Yeah, yeah, this is good. This is good. So, uh, hopefully, future episodes will be a little more optimistic. But that really depends on the news. So, sure. And what crazy things happen in Oklahoma? Hey, at least they're at least they're talking about raising tax rates now. It's gotten that bad. That's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Eventually, you have to hit. Like Oklahoma and Kansas are hitting rock bottom. At around the same time, where people are like, um, maybe we do need taxes. So, but it's always it's, it's always nice when that happens. So, but uh, so for um, for our listeners, you know, always check out uh, Barry Barry's blogs on barryfriedman.com and uh, sfriedman.com. Yes, barrysfriedman.com. We'll put a link to it in the episode notes. This is why I'm here, to do all the organ- organizational stuff. And, uh, you know, subscribe to this on iTunes and all of the other places podcasts are available. And share it on the interwebs. So with that, I'll let Barry get back to sitting on a beach. Yes. And I will uh, go out in the rain here in Boston. So, yay. Well, it looks like I win today. Yes, yes you do. You uh, usually do. So, all right. Well, bye, everybody. So long.